Hi, I'm Jen. I'm Serena. And I'm Jason. And you're listening to Every Rom-Com, the podcast where we have fun taking romantic comedies seriously. This week, we're continuing our time travel and time loop series with a story about a man who's inherited the ability to time travel. We'll talk about a romantic comedy that keeps going after the wedding to explore the joys of family life. And we'll discuss what, if anything, we might do with the ability to time travel through our own lives as we discuss the 2013 Richard Curtis film, About Time. Welcome back, Serena. It has been too long, but in the interim, you were in Peru, I believe. Yes, I was. Yeah, we went to we did the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu. That was super cool. And now we're like in the middle of hurricane season. I'm taking my sabbatical for hurricane season so that we can leave the vicinity if we have to. Oof. Well, I wish you luck and that you won't (laughs) have to leave the vicinity. Yeah. No, it's all good. We're doing a lot of boat work. It's cool. Very cool. And I'm very excited also to welcome our guest today, who is Jason Kleberg, the host, writer, producer, and editor of the Force 5 Movie Podcast. And as the host, writer, producer, and editor of every rom-com, I have very little time to listen to other podcasts, but Force 5 is in my regular rotation. Like, it is a great movie podcast. You got to check it out. I think it has a great format. He does some short film reviews followed by top five lists with Jason and a guest. Lists on the show have included such varied topics as top five horror movie deaths, top five 90s teen films, and a personal favorite of mine, top five Midwest movies. And I was lucky enough to appear on episode 94, top five rom-coms. Jason recently marked his 100th episode by giving his list of top five films not on Blu-ray and doing the Hot Ones Challenge while answering listener questions. Jason, congratulations on your 100th episode, and we are really glad to have you on the show today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on. Yeah, it was, I, was, I listened to your 100th episode, and I was really I had never heard of the Hot Ones challenge before. You sounded oh. like you were in a you sounded <laughs> like you were in a lot of pain. Um, what was your feeling um reaching this 100th episode and recording it? Well, there's a strange confliction of being proud of reaching 100 episodes because as I said on that show, I think there's a stat out there that's something like 56% of podcasts never even reach 10. So, 100 is, you know, it's an accomplishment to be celebrated, but also I was nervous because I've always told my wife that if I ever reached 100 episodes, I was going to do this Hot Ones challenge. And for those who have never seen Hot Ones, it's it's an interview show where a, a guest is on there and the host interviews them, but they're eating increasingly hot hot wings until the end, which is one of the hottest hot sauces available. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was it was nerve wracking, but I made it through. I did all 10 sauces, which I'm proud of, and I will probably never try those sauces again. <laughs> so now that you've reached 100 episodes, do you plan on doing 100 more? Is there anything coming up for the podcast that's going to be a little different or just keep doing the excellent format you have right now? 
Well, gosh, I hope I can make a hundred more. That really depends on if people are listening and if guests want to come on the show. And so far, I've had no trouble with either one. So I feel like a hundred more is probably in the cards for me. I don't know what I will do at 200 because I did the (laughs) Hot Ones Challenge for 100. Maybe I'll do it while jumping out of a plane like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible 6. Who knows? Oh, my God. (laughs) So Jason, what were some of your favorite like top fives to assemble? Like you've had you've had a really interesting variety of them. Yeah, they've all been, you know, there's there hasn't been a list where somebody said, hey, let's do this. And I've been like, oh, I don't really want to do that topic. Everybody's come up with a really great topic so far. And uh, I, I guess one of my most recent top fives that was really fun to assemble was Charles Bronson Films. <laughs> because uh, the host Ryan of the New World Pictures podcast came to me with Charles Bronson films. And I had about a month of lead time. And I had I was not very versed in Charles Bronson films. So I took a deep drink of Bronson in that month and just like watched as many films as I could. Wow. And so that was pretty fun to, to really discover this person that I had no idea before I did that show that he was one of at one point he was the most popular movie star in the world. Yeah, I would say that that's one of my favorite parts of doing the podcast as well is just when you like come upon a vein of films that you haven't actually watched before and you have to prep them to for an episode. Yeah. And um, what's besides um, learning about the filmography of Charles Bronson? (laughs) um, Is there anything else you've learned from the guests on your show so far? Um, You know, I've learned a couple of things. So first off, I've learned that everybody's movie tastes are so wildly different. And it's funny because I'll go into certain top five lists and I'll think to myself, well, I'm going to leave this film off of that list because they're definitely going to have it on theirs because it's, it's an obvious choice or it's a staple of the genre or whatever it might be. And then their picks are wildly different than what I imagined. So Mm -hmm. I think everybody's like, what, what experiences people bring to the table are really, really fun. And then uh, the other thing that I've learned is that, people are really responsive to being on podcasts. I've reached out to a ton of people that I thought would either just not answer me or say no, and, uh, and they've agreed to be on. So I think that that's one of the things I've learned is just like, don't be afraid of putting yourself out there and asking people if they want to be a guest on your show, because uh, you never know. Yeah, you have had some pretty high profile people on your podcast. And honestly, if I had like noticed that before uh, sort of asking if I could be on, I might have like <laughs> lost my nerve to ask if I could be on your show, to be honest. <laughs> so, but yeah, it was it was a really great experience um, coming on and talking about the romantic comedies with you. And um, speaking of romantic comedies, what's kind of been your relationship to the romantic comedy genre? I know we talked about it a little bit on your episode, but just for people who haven't heard that yet. How do you feel about them? And what do you think are their strengths and weaknesses? It's funny. I, I think that there are some really amazing romantic comedies. But for me personally, the romantic comedy is uh, it's a genre dominated by these tropes that happen in like you can you can kind of chart the beats on a graph of, oh, this is going to happen here. This is going to happen here. There's going to be a conflict between the couple here and then they're going to reconcile here. Uh, so I. I have a tough time loving most romantic comedies, but there are some fantastic ones out there that I think kind of buck those genre trends, one of which we're going to talk about today. But um, yeah, I I don't love them traditionally, but there are a few that I just I, I adore. 
And obviously uh, our top fives you can find on that episode and about time is on my list, of course. And that's probably why you invited me on to talk about it today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there were some other things I thought about inviting you for, but when we did this time travel series, like you were definitely on my mind for a guest for this one. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then another thing that I noticed, and I've heard you talk about this on the podcast before too, but on your website, you refer to yourself as a blacklist screenwriter. And can you tell the audience like what that means and what's kept you going with screenwriting? Yeah. So uh, what the blacklist is, is it's a website for people to submit screenplays and get feedback on those screenplays. And if the screenplays are good enough, then they go into the marketplace for producers, directors, whoever wants to read them to come onto the website and and basically shop around. So you put in keywords, and if somebody's looking for a romantic comedy, for example, a director or a a producer can go in there and search romantic comedies and then read those blacklist screenplays with high marks. Um, So I've got a couple of screenplays on the blacklist. One I've taken down because I'm rewriting it, um, but there are a couple on there that are seven. So at some point, I'm hoping that somebody goes on there and shops around as for what keeps me going with screenwriting, I've always just been a creative person and there's always a story popping into my head. Yeah. Most people, you know, you can go to a, uh, an event and be really bored and sit on your phone. And I tend to, well, I guess I tend to do that too, but, but <laughs> when I'm not buried in my phone, like I'm coming up with ideas of how could this be interesting? Um, recently we were at, I was at some type of event and I was super bored and I started thinking about what it would be like if a hitman was trying to pull off a job in this place and what he'd have to go through. I just started like coming up with cool scenes in my mind and that kind of like kept me engaged in that moment. But it's um, it's one of those things where I'm always coming up with stories. I have this portion of my phone where it's notes and it's just filled with future stories that at some point I may develop and write. Nice. I mean, I think like for me, like I can come up with ideas, but I've had a screenplay three quarters finished for a very long time and trying to stick the landing. So I really respect Ooh. the um, the ability to finish the screenplay. I've done one before and I really want to get this one done, too. So I'm going to have to use you as inspiration. Nice. Yeah. If you ever <laughs> want me to read it, you just let me know. <laughs> Thanks. So where can people go to find your podcast, your work on social media? Like where can they find you? Wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, when you're done, you can search Force 5 and you'll pretty much find it anywhere. If you want to see the full website, force5podcast.com. My Twitter is at Force5Pod and my Instagram is at Force5Podcast. And uh, I do talk with everybody who interacts with me and it is just me. I'm the one who runs the show and the the social media stuff. So I will be responding to you if you want to chat about movies. Yep, that's right. And you won't be ta- drinking the or not drinking the hot sauce. You won't be um, eating <laughs> the hot sauce in response to these questions, which you'll probably be very relieved by. So, oh, yeah. true. <laughs> so, before we get started with today's episode, just a reminder: as usual on the show, we will have a spoiler-free section at the beginning of the episode, and we will let you know when the spoiler section begins. We'd also like to remind you that you can follow the podcast on social media. Our Facebook page is Every Romcom Podcast and Blog. Our Instagram is at Every Romcom. And our Twitter handle is at Every Romcom Pod. And as always, you can find the podcast at everyromcom.com. Send us feedback at feedback at everyromcom.com. And if you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. And now we're going to listen to part of the trailer for About Time. Tim, 
My dear son, this is going to sound strange, but there's this secret that the men in this family can travel in time. Wow. Tim, will you do my back? Oh, oh no! Okay, stop. How would I actually go into a dark place? Think of the moment you're going to and you'll find yourself there. Tim, will you do my back? Oh, nice. It's my area. Any first thoughts? It would be really great if you could help get me a girlfriend. Wow. Massive. I'm Tim. I'm Mary. Mary's my mother's name. I remind you of your mother? Obviously, I should have thought this through more. Um, I'm Tim. Mary. I love your eyes. And I love the rest of your face, too. And I haven't even looked further down. I'm gonna go into the bedroom and put on my new pajamas. And then in a minute, you can come in and take them off. I'm sure it'll be better next time. <gasps> my goodness. Well done. Some people make a real mess of it the first time. Amateurs. This is Mary. Good lord, you're pretty. Oh, no, I, it's just... I've got a lot of mascara and lipstick on. Let's have a look. Oh, yes. Good. You have to be very careful when you use it. The butterfly effect thing, that's a real recipe for disaster. It's so good to see you. We've never met before. Oh no. All right. There's there's part of our trailer and I think actually that's one of the better trailers that we've had on the show. Uh I will just say that I traditionally don't watch trailers, so this is the first time that I have heard that trailer and uh sounded good to me. All right. So, About Time was released in 2013. It was written and directed by Richard Curtis. And it stars Donald Gleason, Rachel McAdams, and Bill Nye. So the basic premise is that Tim is a young British man living a seemingly ordinary life with a happy family at their seaside home. On Tim's 21st birthday, his father informs him that every man in their family inherits the ability to time travel. Tim thinks it's a prank, but when he follows his father's instructions, he travels back to the previous night and changes one small decision. Tim decides that he's going to use his newfound power to find love, and we follow his journey towards love and wisdom over time. So some facts about the movie. Um, the movie is kind of almost a time travel movie by accident, and this is because Richard Curtis's original idea for the movie was just having a conversation with a friend about how great normal, ordinary days are. He just wanted to make a movie basically around that theme. But since you kind of need a plot to make a mainstream movie, he came up with using time travel as a vehicle to kind of express that theme about how great ordinary days in our lives are. Richard Curtis also says of the movie, really, it's my first film about family. It's as much to do with the brother and the sister and the father and the mother as it is to do with love. And I, th I think that comes through pretty strongly. 100%. So an interesting fact about the actual plot of the movie, in the DVD commentary, Richard Curtis sort of offhandedly gave the time frame of Tim's story in the movie as falling between ages 21 and 29. And yeah, I wouldn't have really been able to tell, you know, how many years we'd been in this movie otherwise. So I thought that was cool. And the film was shot in London and the south coast of Cornwall. 
The frequent beach scenes were filmed at a place called Vault Beach in Gorin Haven. And the film's budget was $12 million, and it grossed $87 million. So, not bad. So, in terms of this movie, like, obviously, I didn't want to spoil it, Jason, but obviously this movie about time was on your list. So, I want to give it over to you first. Like, your opinion of this movie, kind of how you came to discover it, and is it something you've watched frequently over the years? And has your opinion changed over time? I adore this movie. Uh, it's one of my favorite romantic comedies. And I think my enjoyment fr- my enjoyment of it really comes from not thinking about the plot holes when it comes to the time travel stuff, which I'm sure we will get into. <laughs> uh, the, the rules are very, very uh, fluid, if you will. But the story between the, the, the characters are really what I love. It's got great relationships. There's really no villain, which is nice. Um, I mean, there's there's tough times, there's troubles, but there's no villain. And I just love the, I love the interactions between everybody. When he says it's, it's as much about family as it is love. Like it's, it's just all about love. It's about love between your partner. It's about love with your kids. It's about love with your, with your brother and sister, between brother and sister, between father and son. Like it's just a really touching movie. Never ceases to make me cry. I've seen it. Um, I've seen it three times now, I think. I just watched it with my wife to prepare for this show. And it's kind of funny because my wife saw it with me the first time. And she's she's like, I've never seen this movie, which makes me think that maybe I went back in time and she didn't watch it in that (laughs) in that thread. But um, yeah, she was like bawling her eyes out this time too. just uh, loved it. So, yeah, my my feelings about this, if you want more about it, obviously, we're going to talk about it here, but. Uh, I I kind of waxed on it in our episode, but I, yeah, I love this movie. Yeah, I just want to add a note. Like I've had this happen with my husband many times, where I'm sure <laughs> that we watched a movie together, and he claims to have never seen it. So like, I'm glad that it's not just me. I was starting to worry about him. <laughs> yeah. And Serena, had you seen this movie before the podcast? No. Yeah. No, I had never seen it. I'd never heard of it. So um, I looked it up on Amazon. I forced my boyfriend to watch it. He was bored to tears, but I I thought it was really sweet and quirky and I liked it. Yeah. (laughs) So my experience of the movie is I saw it probably around the time it came out, um, maybe on television or video. I was in Korea at the time, so we might have had to illegally download it even. (laughs) Um, But I'm not like a huge fan of it. And I I feel bad saying that, Jason, because I know you love it. So um, no, I'm that's OK. I'm always looking to find like good things about any movie we cover on the podcast, too, though. So I always have like a pretty balanced opinion. I think for me, um, I definitely see the strong points like we're going to talk about the family thing a lot more. I like that this is a romantic movie where you follow a couple beyond like getting together, right? Beyond getting married. And this is not a spoiler to say this. Um, you get to see a family life evolve. And I think that's a real strong point. There's some really like funny moments and side characters. I think like the thing that hasn't ever gripped me about the movie is the main couple really doesn't do much for me. Like either member of it, I'm just kind of like, I don't understand what they have in common. (laughs) I don't really understand their full personality. Like I'm much more interested in like the interactions between Donald Gleason and Bill Nye 
or like the side, the funny side characters, like Harry, the friend of the father and stuff like that. And I think like, there's a lot that's good about it. I think some of the themes are really interesting, but like, if I'm not gripped by kind of the main couple in a romance, it's really hard for me to like kind of go back to it over and over again. But I'm like really looking forward. If you can tell us the parts where you were crying in the movie as we go on, I will be really interested to hear that. <laughs> I will definitely touch on that. So now let's we're going to get into the cast and crew. So we've already covered the writer and director of About Time, Richard Curtis. For more information on his career, please check out every rom-com episode 26 on Love Actually, another film that he wrote and directed. Yeah, and that was a super fun episode with Serena here and Sybil, and we ranked all the different couples in Love Actually from worst to best. That one was one of the (laughs) most fun to record. Okay, so the star of the movie um, is Donald Gleason, and... I've heard it pronounced in the commentary, he himself pronounced it as Donald. So I'm going to go with his pronunciation, but his co-stars were all calling him Donal. So I don't know. But if I'm the, the guy himself said Donald, so Donald Gleason, we're going with it. Um, he is an Irish actor, writer, and director. He's the son of actor Brendan Gleason, who you might know as, among other things, Mad-Eye Moody in the Harry Potter movies, or he was also the lead in the recent Mr. Mercedes TV series. So that's his dad. Um, Donald's first IMDb credit was in 2001 for a TV miniseries, Rebel Heart. And I really need to see the movie he had his first feature role in because it's a horror comedy I've never heard of called Boy Eats Girl. And it sounds like it has like a zombie rom-com element. So I I have to see this film. I don't think Donald himself had a big role in it, but got to check it out. Um, Donald has sketch comedy experience, including writing and acting on the Irish TV show, Your Bad Self. His breakout role was in 2010, playing Bill Weasley in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1, and he also appeared in Part 2. And also in 2010, he appeared in Never Let Me Go and True Grit. And some of his other work before About Time included the movie Anna Karenina and an episode of Black Mirror called Be Right Back. So then since About Time, he's probably best known for playing General Hux in the Star Wars sequels. Um, But other prominent projects since then include Frank, Unbroken, Ex Machina, Brooklyn, The Revenant, American Maid, Mother, Peter Rabbit and Peter Rabbit 2, The Little Stranger, and the TV series Run. I I had no idea, by the way, that Donald Gleason was in this many things. I haven't seen a lot of them. Have you seen a lot of his work, either of you? I Um, have. I've seen a lot of these movies. I think he just isn't really necessarily the main character. Yeah, not in a lot of them. He's not. Yeah. But you have Jason, you're kind of aware of him. I have. Yeah, I, I like him a lot. And if I had to make a couple of recommendations of the things you listed off, he's great in the Tom Cruise movie American Made, mm-hmm. where he plays kind of this organizer for Tom Cruise as a pilot. Uh, and then his Black Mirror episode, Be Right Back, yeah. is one of my favorites and is extremely haunting. I have seen that. I've seen like every Black Mirror episode. So, yeah. But I really want to see some of the other stuff on this list. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. I think you could do worse than a Donald Gleason movie marathon, really. And then most recently, he's been a writer and actor on the 2021 series Frank of Ireland. And he's currently in the TV miniseries The Patient with Steve Carell, which I saw a preview for, and it looks really interesting also. And Gleason is also in post-production on the miniseries The White House Plumbers. And finally, in addition to acting, Gleason has written and directed two short films. So a lot of the actors we cover on the show have been kind of multi-talented like that. 
All right. So um, the actor that plays Tim's dad is Bill Nye. He is a British actor born in 1949, began his career in theater and TV. All his early IMDb credits are for British TV and minor roles in feature films. According to Nye's IMDb biography, his first widely recognized role was in the 1991 miniseries The Men's Room. 2003 was a big year for Nye. He began appearing in the Underworld movie series and began working with Richard Curtis with his breakout comedic role as Billy Mack in Love Actually, which is where I know him from. I think that's where everyone kind of knows him from. Um, Nye has appeared in all three feature films written and directed by Richard Curtis, Love Actually, Pirate Radio, also called The Boat That Rocked, and About Time. Nye's other projects before About Time include Shaun of the Dead, The Constant Gardener, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, and At World's End, Notes on a Scandal, Hot Fuzz, Valkyrie, and The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. Which I love that movie too. I don't know if you guys yeah. seen that one, but yeah, it's someday super I want to cover that. Yeah, I want to cover that yeah. someday. We'll do like um, romance over fifty or something. I don't know. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good subject. Like Donald Gleason, Nye also appeared in the Harry Potter movies as Minister of Magic Rufus Scrimgeour. Since about time, Nye's work has included 2014's Pride, Skylight, the second best exotic marigold hotel. The Bookshop, Sometimes Always Never, Pokemon Detective Pikachu, and a role as Mr. Woodhouse in the 2020 Emma. Most recently, Nye has done voice work on the TV series Castlevania and appeared in the Showtime sci-fi series The Man Who Fell to Earth. Coming up, Nye is in the movie Living, coming out later this year, and he's completing work on Heidi, Queen of the Mountain, and The Beautiful Game. Nye is currently filming the movies Role Play and Dragon Keeper. And Nye has also worked in theater, radio, and appeared on the podcast series Hogfather in 2021. So uh, we're going to move on now to Rachel McAdams, who plays Mary, the romantic interest in the movie. So first of all, we need to say that Rachel McAdams has played time travel adjacent characters in at least four movies. I think it's just four, but I'm going to say at least four to be safe. So there's About Time. Midnight in Paris, The Time Traveler's Wife, and her role as Doctor Strange's sort of ex-girlfriend in the MCU. So my question is, when does Rachel McAdams get to play the time traveler? <laughs> I think she's just made such a habit of being near time travel. She needs a role. We can write one for her. Yeah, let's make it happen. So as to the rest of her sort of non-time traveling career, McAdams started doing theater as a teenager in Canada and graduated university with a theater degree. Her first IMDb credit is in 2001 for an appearance on the TV series The Famous Jet Jackson, but her breakout role, she broke big in 2004, playing Regina George in Mean Girls. Like, that movie was a huge success, and she was a big part of it. McAdams had already appeared in many other well-known movies before About Time. In fact, I would say probably, I hate to say it, but most of her well-known work was before About Time, including uh, The Family Stone, The Notebook, Red Eye, Wedding Crashers, The Time Traveler's Wife, Sherlock Holmes and its sequel, Morning Glory, Midnight in Paris, and The Vow. But she has kept working since about time. Some of her prominent projects since then have included Season 2 of True Detective, A Most Wanted Man, Spotlight, Disobedience, Game Night, 
and Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga. And then, of course, she entered the MCU in 2016 as Dr. Christine Palmer in Doctor Strange, and she went on to appear in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness and did voice work for the Disney's Plus series, What If? So she doesn't have a ton coming up on her page right now, but it, it says she's going to be in an adaptation of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, which is currently in post-production. So yeah, I don't know exactly why she's been a little less active, but yeah, I hope to see more of her. Do you, either of you have any favorite kind of, well, I don't want to give away our double feature recommendations, actually. Well, I'll say one that's not on the double feature list. Uh, her 2005 film, Red Eye, which was directed by Wes Craven, opposite, she plays opposite uh, Killian Murphy. It's a really great thriller. I think it's super underrated if you're into thriller movies. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a winner. So other members of the About Time cast include Lydia Wilson as Tim's sister Kit Kat, Lindsay Duncan as Tim's mom, Richard Cordery as Uncle Desmond, Tom Hollander as Harry, and Margot Robbie as Tim's crush Charlotte. Okay, so we're going to get into the movie now. So we get into the movie and it's one of those very efficient sort of voiceovers telling us who's who and what's what. I was going to ask about this later, but we may as well ask about it now. What do you guys think of the use of voiceover in this movie to sort of get us through the plot? It, it didn't bother me. Sometimes it does bother me when voiceover is used too much. But in this, it just felt like Tim was telling his story to us. And sometimes we needed those kind of breaks just so he can inform us. So yeah, it didn't bother me at all. Serena, do you have any thoughts on the voiceover method or like bothers you didn't even notice good? Yeah, I didn't even notice. I thought it was it was cute. It was sweet. I, I it did bother me. So I'm going to be the odd one out. <laughs> I'm going to okay. be the odd one out a little bit. <laughs> I think in the beginning, like the beginning of a movie, it doesn't usually bother me because I do think it's a very efficient way to get things going. But there were a few emotional moments later in the movie that I was like, oh, I would have really loved to see a di like like it's a conversation there instead, you know, like let some of the other actors flex their muscles. But yeah, I think it does work efficiently to get us into the plot here. Um, we're basically introduced to the cast of characters, which is a Tim sort of nuclear family. His dad, as we mentioned, Bill Nye, his mother, his sister Kit Kat, and Uncle Desmond, who's like mom's brother. That was a weird character for me, though. I'm not going to have much to say about him through the rest of the podcast, but like Uncle Desmond is just kind of shown to be just never knows anything that's going on. Like he can almost not function. Like... <laughs> It was a weird character for me. Yeah, it almost felt like there was it almost feels like there's something wrong with him. Uh, he comes across as this real clueless oaf. But at the same time, he does have one of the more emotional moments later on in the film. Yeah. So he he felt like a character there just kind of for comedy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He was kind of like the weird British eccentric family member character. And they're all living together in this house on the, I guess, the South Cornish coast in this beautiful environment. Um, we find out that Tim's dad had retired at 50 years old and spends a lot of time with his family playing table tennis and reading. Um, yeah, and Kit Kat's kind of the eccentric in the family. The mom is like dealt with so strangely to me. Like she's just kind of like caught a little bit distant, caustic. I don't know. She just seemed English to me. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Have you, have you met women such as her before or just from what you see in the yeah, movies? Yeah, yeah, no, I think I have. And I think it's just like a different kind of sense of humor and like like a standoffishness. 
Okay, okay. That I actually like, actually. I, I like that kind of personality in women, like, that are just sort of standoffish, quiet. Not quiet, okay. but sarcastic. That's good to know. That's good to know. I do feel like there's sometimes things with British movies that, like, I'm not sure if they're British or if it was a choice. You know what I mean? Like, um, so it's good to know that you think it's just probably a factor of Britishness. Okay. And so we get into kind of the family life. They spend a lot of time together and every year they have a new year's party, which Tim apparently dreads. We get right into this new year's party. Tim's kind of having these awkward interactions. Um, There's a girl he's not too interested in. Um, He's not having success getting anyone else's attention. Him and his friend Jay are spilling drinks on people. It's just, you kind of get this impression of Tim is awkward. And then the next day is apparently Tim's 21st birthday. New Year's Day apparently is his birthday. And his dad calls him in to have a big discussion. And the discussion is basically Bill Nye sits him down and says, you know, son, all the men in this family can time travel. And I don't blame him for thinking it's a prank. Yeah, so he yeah. doesn't believe the dad, and then he goes, he, he's like, when I come back, you're going to be in big trouble, and then he goes and he tries it out. And time traveling in this movie can be accomplished by going into a dark space, such as a cupboard, sort of clenching your fists, I'm not really sure what that accomplishes, <laughs> and then thinking about the time you want to go to, and Tim chooses to go back to the night before, and um, does some things differently, doesn't spill the drinks, and then he kisses the dorky girl, and she's really happy. And then he comes back. And they have their kind of conversation about like, wow, this is really real. Um, And dad kind of sits him down and says, like, you got to think about what you're going to use this for. Dad's used it for books. How does that work, by the way? Do you guys think? Is he just like going back to like the same morning and reading a different book? (laughs) I was wondering (laughs) that, too. (laughs) Yeah, maybe he just uh, goes back after he's read a book. He just goes back to that same uh, same time and picks a different book. Yeah, I mean, I could I could see that being, I guess, an interesting way to use your time. Um, he warns against using it for money. He says that his grandfather like ruined his life. Nobody liked him. And he warns against not having a job. Personally, like, I don't know if I would take <laughs> I, I, I might be tempted to still use it for money. I don't know. What about you both? Would you take dad's word for it? Well, I mean, obviously, they had some money because they were like living in like a a mansion on the ocean yeah (laughs) so so obviously they got money from somewhere and i'm assuming it was maybe the grandfather so you know yeah kind of like it's easy for dad to say don't do it for money because he already had the money yeah exactly yeah i know that if i was in that situation i would definitely go the back to the future two route where i'd watch a sporting event and then just go back before and bet on that sporting event I do like the line where he said that he's never met a rich person that's truly happy. Hmm. Uh, And that line did resonate with me. Yeah, I'm kind of I kind of subscribe to the theory that like um, above a certain amount of money, you're not going to be any happier. But they have done studies that there is a point at which you will be happier if you have more money. And I think maybe get yourself to that point. I think it was something like seventy five thousand dollars when they did the study. It's probably 75,000 a year use salary when they did the study. It's probably more now, but like, yeah, get yourself to that point. And then after that, maybe money isn't the best thing to pursue. Anyway, Tim decides that what he wants is a girlfriend. And like, it's interesting. So many of these time travel movies, men are looking for love in them. And it's, I don't find it to be as much the case with women in time travel movies. We can talk about that a little later, maybe. And time travel in this family is also inherited, we find out, through the male line. So 
just if you're born a guy, you will become a time traveler. So this conver- this led me to kind of a thought process I was going through. And Jason, you ended up on the, the feminist episode of this time travel series, I think. <laughs> awesome. So I was trying to think, like, is there an actual gender imbalance in time travel films? Like, I I was trying to think of, like, sort of prominent time travel movies where there's a female protagonist, like the main character, who is also the an active time traveler. It led me to, first of all, a 2013 Guardian article that was written by Anna Smith. So around the time that About Time came out, and she noted both the fact that Rachel McAdams had been in these other time travel movies, but not as the time traveler, and then combined it with the fact that in About Time, time travel is inherited only by men. And the headline asked the question, why can't women time travel? And there's a quote in the article, McAdams is not alone in being overlooked. From 1981's Time Bandits to the more recent Hot Tub Time Machine, sci-fi films have rarely allowed female characters to leave the present. When Marty McFly's girlfriend tried to come along for the ride in Back to the Future 2, she was hastily sedated by the doc for asking too many questions. In their excellent adventures, Bill and Ted traveled to medieval times to meet some babes. True, the women were then permitted to time travel, but only with male characters and purely to serve their needs hardly the sort of time traveling role models women need. So I do think that since 2013, there have definitely been more um, women, female protagonists in time travel movies like Happy Death Day that we covered last year. And we're going to cover the sequel to in this series being a great example. But I couldn't think of that many others like Peggy Sue Got Married is one. Um, I thought of a few others. And when I put this to people on Facebook, they did come up with other examples. But it was interesting how many of those examples were either books or TV shows. I think there have been more time-traveling women in those. Can you guys think of prominent examples besides the ones I just mentioned? Like, do you think do you think this might be a real thing, that women aren't being allowed to time-travel as much? Or do you think it's just kind of the way movies are? The thing that came up for me was, was Outlander. I kept on thinking about Outlander because um, she travels in time in that show. But again, TV. But also, yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't know in like movies. I mean, I when I think of time travel, like logistically, like for me as a woman going back in time, like I don't think I'd want to do it <laughs> because because I mean the risks that you would take and and just how you wouldn't be adapted to that society. I think you would just immediately be assaulted or burned at the stake or something i i do feel like as a man it just makes more sense to be able to just blend in if you went back in time sure but here we have like there's other examples of like this movie he's just traveling in his own life or you could perhaps travel to the future as well like which traveling to the future would have a risk for anybody really (laughs) yeah like Jason, what do you think? Have you seen a lot of time travel movies with female protagonists? Do you think this might just be a factor of like, this is the way Hollywood is in general with movies with fewer yeah, female I do protagonists? Think, I do think it's it's got something to do with the way Hollywood is because there's clearly an imbalance. I know you posed this question earlier and and I was trying to think of time travel movies with females as the lead. And I could only really come up with two off the top of my head. The most recent being uh, Last Night in Soho. Mm-hmm. And then um, there's a 1997 science fiction movie called Retroactive, which uh, Kylie Travis is the main character. But that's more like a time loop movie. So there's clearly some imbalances there. I don't know why it is. I actually think that About Time might even be more interesting if the female went back in time and then came back and 
well, I, I don't want to get into spoilers, but I think <laughs> it might be a, a little more interesting if Rachel McAdams was the main character. Hmm. Yeah, no, I could see that. Yeah. And like Serena, like you did mention Outlander. And I think that's a great example of like prominent media, like regardless of being TV prominent media with a female time traveler. And she does deal also like with what you were talking about, like those problems of what it's like to be a woman in the past, but very capably. Are you a fan of that show? I am. Yeah. I, I haven't watched it recently. Honestly, it, it got too rapey for me. I mm, decided yeah. stop watching it. But I guess those are just the realities. But I think it's also a good point. Like there are, there are also like when women are in time travel movies, a lot of times it is more of like a nightmare situation. Like, like Jason, you mentioned last night in Soho, kind of almost like a literal nightmare situation this character is having where she doesn't have a whole lot of control over what's going on. So I think it's interesting the way time travel plays out when a woman's in that position. It's often not this like kind of fun romp where you get to change things and have fun. A lot of time it's like more of a survival ordeal. Yeah. Okay. So listeners, if you have any other examples you want to throw our way of movies with uh, female time travel protagonists, like please send us at, send them to us at feedback at every romcom.com especially if they're romances, because I'm pretty sure we're going to do a second version of the time travel series at some point in the future. Okay, so Tim deciding he wants to use his time travel power, power for love almost immediately is presented with an object of affection. The character Charlotte, played by Margot Robbie, who we know from Wolf of Wall Street, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, and also Harley Quinn. Like, I think she's a great actress. I was really happy to see her here. I don't think she's used... For, to do much of anything in the movie other than be hot, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's also the catalyst for a, a later moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's a catalyst, but I don't think she's, she doesn't really have a super much of a personality to me in this movie. She's kind of like, here's an attractive blonde woman. Tim is desperate to impress her. Um, we get one of his first uses of time travel um, in a scene where she's laying out and she asks Tim to put some sunscreen on her. And the first go round, he rushes over very hurriedly, like squirts the sunscreen onto her back and it goes all over the place. That was um, seemed kind of like a symbol to me. <laughs> <laughs> and she's um, upset about it. And he's like, I'll be right back. And then we see him come back, um, go back in the time. And he very suavely waits a beat to go and put the sunscreen on her back and then very carefully uh, squeezes the sunscreen out of the tube and very gently rubs it on her back. And she's impressed with him. Anyone find this relatable in any way? Oh, yeah, of course. You know, the the fumbling 21-year-old who doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, imagine going back in time and having a second chance at some of those awkward, terrible moments. I'd have done the same thing. I'm sure most people would. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I can't remember being 21 well enough anymore, or at least like being awkward moments from anywhere. Serena, do you remember anything like that? Like that you would we would have wanted to correct at the time? no not really I guess not I yeah. think it's different for guys and girls I think I don't know I remember being yeah. more <laughs> I, not as like fumbly but like maybe I wish that I had been more like assertive in certain mm. situations like I could have gone back in time and like you know stuck up for myself or um, I don't know some, something like that as, as opposed to like kind of more of like a fool scenario i don't really remember anything like that yeah yeah i think yeah now that i think about it like if i went back it would be more like what you're saying or something like just taking a pass on certain guys entirely just being like oh well 
maybe I didn't need to do that. <laughs> yeah. A couple guys in my dorm, like, eh, I could have avoided him entirely and be just as well. But yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's okay. We learn. We learn from our mistakes, as we'll we'll think about later in this film. Then we have this scene where Tim has been kind of like interested in her the whole summer and all his time travel magic has failed to like get her interested back. Or maybe he just hasn't like, you know, gone up to her and actually told her how he feels. The night before she leaves, he goes and confesses his feelings to her and kind of wants to hook up with her. And she kind of gives him this line like, well, it's the last night. Like maybe if you'd ask me like, you know, at the beginning of your trip or a month ago or something. So he predictably he leaves he goes back in time and the conversation uh, happens where she says well maybe if you ask me our last night then maybe we can get together like it'll be so fun so tim realizes he's been completely let on right i don't know if let on is the right word she's she's basically not willing to like just tell him i don't like you i guess yeah and i think that's where her character of just being kind of like the hot woman is on purpose because he's he's instantly enamored with her because of how she looks Mm -hmm. and realistically like she doesn't have a personality that seems like he would be a a match for he's just really into her because of how she looks and uh it obviously doesn't go well for him there and that streak continues when he meets her later yeah, honestly, I just don't feel like she has like much of a personality at all. And that's like, that is one of my problems sometimes with Richard, Richard Curtis. He does tend to have these hot women that he sometimes doesn't write as having terrible amounts of depth. Um, that's the thing we saw with a couple of the characters in Love Actually, too, like the the naughty secretary that tries to seduce Alan Rickman or whatever. <laughs> there, there do seem to be these placeholder women sometimes for Curtis. Um, but yeah. Uh, Let's see. But Tim comes to the realization after this summer that, quote, all the time travel in the world can't make someone love you. And uh, yeah, contrary to what we learned from Phil Connors in Groundhog Day, I guess. (laughs) So Tim then goes to London after this summer and he lives with his dad's friend, Harry. This is like one of these weird, like, I I like this character, Harry, and I like how when Tim goes to London, Harry's just like really brusque to him and like really just like basically yells at him as soon as he gets in the door. But like, it also feels like a weird aside in a way. Like, what do you guys think of this character, the setup? I thought the character was hilarious. Uh, I think the setup is it. It lend itself to some comedy. The character himself, he's like this really pessimistic, always angry ready to blow his stack at a moment's notice. (laughs) He's like a ticking time bomb. And I always thought that was kind of interesting. I think he's a great source of comedy. Love the character. I would not want to stay there. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think this is like a very Richard Curtis character too. It like, it it reminds me of like, in some ways, like Curtis wrote for when he's in a funeral, Bridget Jones, they all have these like kind of side characters that are very quirky and interesting. And I think that is a strength of his writing. And I guess it does make the world feel a little more filled in. I just, I wish he did it more with his women characters, honestly. Like, I mean, if you have a different opinion about the women characters, either of you, please put that forth too. I, well, I think there are two really great female characters in here. I think Kit Kat is a wonderful character, uh, a wonderfully flawed character as well. But I really think Rachel McAdams' character in here is charming. Um, So that that was one of those things that, that I know you didn't like the, the couple together, but 
I I thought they were great together. And I think a lot of it has to do with Rachel McAdams. Just she's so she's just really cute in this movie, which I which I liked. And she's about to come on the scene. So we'll have a good now chance to talk about that a little bit, too. So he's going to meet Mary now. Like there's a period of time when he's in London. He's not having any luck with women. Then he goes out with his friend Jay to a restaurant called Dans le Noir, which basically in French translates to in the dark. And it's a, the restaurant is apparently a real place. Did you guys know this? I know of those type of restaurants, uh, but I've never been to one myself. Yeah, this is so this is a real restaurant. And the concept of the restaurant is that you are eating in pitch black, like you can't see anything. It's kind of meant to be like a sensory experience where you're really tasting your food. And it's in London, Don Le Noir. It opened in 2006. Um, the guides and the servers at Don Le Noir are blind or partially sighted. And when you arrive, it's just like in the movie. There's like this lit reception area and you store your personal items. You have to put your phones there too and your watches. So there's like no light at all in the dining area. Then you're lined up with a hand placed on the person in front of you and you're led to your seats. And also just like in the movie, you're sat at these group tables so that the way Mary and Tim meet in this movie is like definitely a real possibility. And just like for a little more information, if you're interested in visiting Dom Le Noir, which I totally am, I would totally go there. The menus are surprise menus. They have meat, seafood, or vegetarian, vegan. You just choose one and then tell what you can't eat if you have any allergies. It is a little expensive, though. The least expensive meal is starter and main course plus water for 48 pounds a person. The most expensive is the tasting menu for 100 pounds a person. But I think it'd be like a cool once in a lifetime experience. Yeah, I'd be down to try that. Yeah, no, I definitely would. I didn't like this scene, though. I I just thought it was weird. Like I didn't I mean, I guess I kind of understood like what they were trying to 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 show that there was chemistry between them without them actually seeing each other but i i just didn't i just didn't like it like i was like what did they run out of budget or something that they're it's just like black (laughs) we're just hearing their voices like i don't know i just thought it was bizarre that's funny this is actually one of the things i like better about the movie oh really i liked it too yeah no i think what i liked about it was was it's a unique way to meet that i haven't seen in like a romance before and and it's before all these like gimmicky like dating shows, you know, like Love is Blind or whatever came out like this, it, So it wasn't like playing off of any of that. It's just this like kind of like how can we see a couple meeting in a new way in a romance movie? So I kind of liked that he came up with that. And I also think it'd be kind of cool. Like it's a cool idea. And I love that it's a real restaurant. I love that. Um, anyway, we're going to now play a clip of this scene that Jason and I liked and Serena was against. <laughs> And, and hearing it on the podcast for a change is going to be exactly the same, basically, as watching it in the movie. So here is the dialogue between Mary and Tim when they meet. Mind the stairs and be prepared because it's completely dark. Okay, gentlemen, if you don't mind, I can sit you here beside these two young ladies. No, no, sounds absolutely perfect. Oh, God, you sound very perky. I am, and... Very handsome. <laughs> oh, I'm there. Hi. Oh, hi. I'm Mary. I'm Tim. Mary's my mother's name, actually. Oh, does it suit her? Sort of. Although she's sturdy, so Bernard might have been a better fit. <laughs> okay. Oh, something just touched my elbow. That, that, okay, that wasn't me. Oh, no, well, that just makes it worse. If it wasn't you, who was it? Well, it wasn't me. 
because I'm touching something else. Yes, and you'll stop that right away, thank you. So, girls, be honest. Who is more beautiful? Oh, I am. Yeah, she is. Excellent. Actually, I look like Kate Moss. Really? No, I sort of look like a squirrel. <laughs> Do you like Kate Moss? I absolutely love her. In fact, I almost wore one of her dresses here tonight. You? No, no, her clothes look terrible on me. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot believe that it's your birthday next Your friend well. Jay, he's quite um, enthusiastic. I actually hate him. What's Joanna like? Uh, she's basically a prostitute. <laughs> I think it's strawberry mousse. Oh. Do you want some? Um, okay. Try it. Okay, where's your mouth? Uh, it's... <laughs> it's here. Okay. Mm, there. Oh. oh, my God, what was that? <laughs> my eye. <laughs> There's a lot of... I've got quite a lot of uh, strawberry mousse in my eye now. I'm so sorry. No, thank you. It's a new sensation for me. <laughs> so... Maybe I'll see you outside. Yeah, 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 great. Great. Scary. Yeah, it's a bit scary. Yeah, so that's our dialogue. And okay, I'm going to speak to like why I don't feel this couple right now. And then you guys can offer your, you know, your opinion here too. But it's basically like, if I was talking to either of these people, I don't know what I would connect with. Like, Tim starts out by calling his mother, who seems rather thin to me, sturdy, and says her name should be Bernard. Mary like one of the only things we know about Mary's personality initially is that she really likes Kate Moss and like neither of these things are interesting to me so I just feel like there are some movies where the dialogue is quite witty or I just feel more connected to a character like there's something emotional I connect to about them but here it's just kind of like they're laughing they're they're into each other I can feel like the actor's chemistry but I don't necessarily feel like a story that would bind them together or an emotional connection all right so Tell me what you think about this initial meeting, either of you. Uh, well, in terms of the scene, I really like the setup of the scene. I think it takes a lot of guts to have a, I don't know, four minute scene where you are just staring at darkness. I think that the it, it's also we have to remember over the course of like three or four hours. Yeah, this this meal. So we get snippets of it, but clearly they're talking about stuff in between the lines that we don't know about. Um, the Kate Moss thing is obviously a setup for later. Uh, in terms of chemistry, I can, I can understand where you see there wouldn't be anything to latch onto that was particularly interesting. Although I did feel that Donald Gleason was, uh, he, he was charming with some of his little jokes here and there. I took his sturdy, by the way, as more like her being, um, kind of like more tough, more rough around mm. the edges versus like being um, like like a physical thing. I, I took it more as like a personality trait. This might be our my hangover from doing Love Actually and all the fat shaming in Love Actually. <laughs> this might be. Oh, a, yeah, there and, is a lot in that. Yeah, this might be like my Richard Curtis sensor going off. So I don't know. Serena, what do you think about this? This. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's funny that you just said that because that is like a weird thing to say about your mom, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I already said, like I don't know, I just didn't, I didn't really like this scene. I didn't, I didn't like the concept of it just being in dark and hearing their voices. Um, even though I like, I understood like what it was trying to convey, which is fine. Um, 
but yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't notice that they had any extraordinary chemistry, but I think that's how a lot of times young people connect with each other. You know what I mean? Like it isn't necessarily like a huge amount of chemistry. It's just like, Oh, we're in the same place at the same time. And that's interesting, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then you just, you know, 10 years later, you get a divorce. Oh, oh, <laughs> just kidding. That's not what happens in this movie. But you know what I mean? Like, I feel like I know plenty of people who, you know, who are together for a long time. And from the outside, it doesn't really seem like like, how are you guys together? Yeah, it's and it's hard for me to define exactly what it is about certain movies where I really feel the sparkling chemistry between two characters. I think sometimes it's more I want to know what their motivations in life are and how they would match up or what their emotional and personality makeups are. Like somebody who's really introverted with someone extroverted, someone who needs to challenge themselves in life with someone who challenges them. I don't I don't feel any of those motivations between the two of them. They're just kind of two like nice normal people. And then they meet at a restaurant. <laughs> so, yeah. and, I, and I don't know if, like, again, it might not even be as much of the point of this movie as, like, the family dynamic and the larger story about what we do with our time that the movie is trying to tell. But, yeah. Anyway, so they like each other, and that's what's important for the story in the movie. Um, they're outside the restaurant. Tim sees Mary. You get this look on Donald Gleason's face where he's just like, yes, I'm into this woman. He gets her number, and all is well until... And this is okay. This is really strange to me. So Tim comes home, his roommate and father's friend, Harry and his friend, Harry now is really just miserable because he had his play opening that night. And one of the actors totally flubbed all their lines, just like went dead on stage. And now he's basically feels his career is going to be really badly affected. So Tim decides to go back in time and basically fix his play. And we see him uh, go to the theater and talk to um, one of the actors who's played incidentally by Richard Griffiths, who is another Harry Potter alumni. He played uncle Vernon in the series. And this was actually his last film performance before he died. So kind of cool to see him show up in this movie, but he goes and tries to coach him and encourages him to read his lines. I think even his just like short time on screen, I thought that was really funny, like kind of yelling at Donald Gleason to get out of the dressing room. Did anyone else yeah, find I liked that? It too. Yeah, yeah. And and I will bring up too, um, we we skipped over it, but when they walk out of the all dark restaurant, we get introduced to Vanessa Kirby's character as Rachel McAdams' friend. And she's a, a terrific actress who she's the white widow in Mission Impossible Fallout, and she will reprise that role, I'm sure, in in the next version. Um, and then she was also a really interesting character in the terrible Fast and Furious Hobbs and Shaw movie. But <laughs> I mean, she was a highlight in there. Cool. Yeah. No, I like I like that character. Like the only thing I don't like about the characters, they keep referring to her as like being like a prostitute. And I'm like, why? Because she's kind of pretty and flirts with people sometimes. <laughs> I don't. <know. laughs> yeah. Anyway, I like. Yeah, I thought she was pretty good, too. Yeah, so we've got like, this movie has so many great incidental actors in it. Like we have Richard Griffiths from Harry Potter. Richard E. Grant also shows up. And Richard E. Grant, it turns out, is the actor who actually forgot his lines in the play. So Tim goes back a couple times, I guess, to try to fix this play. First, he tries to get um, one actor, but he's already learned his lines. And he finds out Richard E. Grant's the one who screwed it all up. Then he shows up with cue cards which was very reminiscent to me of Love Actually. And he's on the side, like, um, holding the cards up for Richard E. Grant's character to give his lines. The play is saved. Harry is happy. And then he checks his phone to see if Mary's number is in it. And I'm like, how did he not realize that Mary's number wouldn't be in it? 
Yeah, this is one of the things in the movie that I didn't quite buy because he was really into her and then he just doesn't even think about the effects it would have going back in time to change this guy's play. But yeah. it also begs the question, like if he goes back in time and remembers things, wouldn't his phone that's currently with him when he goes back in time still have the number saved? Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting <laughs> question. <laughs> yeah. Like if you take a bunch of pictures on your phone and then you go back in time, they just erase, I guess, but you keep the memories that didn't really make a ton of sense to me. Yeah, I guess you're right. Because like, it's not like a time loop. Like in time loop movies, that makes sense to me. It's not like resetting the day. Yeah. Yeah, this right. movie has so a lot he, of weird would he, things. Would he have a memory of both timelines? That's that's what's weird about it. Oh, yeah. He keeps his memory the whole time of everything. Yeah. He could have memorized her number, too, quite honestly, <laughs> if he'd been True. thinking. Why don't he just go back in time and memorize her phone number? Although, then idea. he would call her and she still wouldn't remember him. So I guess it wouldn't make a hell of a lot of difference. Like, okay, the thing that I don't get, though, is like, he said that love is like the thing he wants most. Why wouldn't he just decide not to help Harry's play? I mean, I guess it would be kind of sad for Harry, but like, why doesn't he just say, well, it's more important that I met this girl that I'm like really in love with. I haven't ever met somebody I'm really into this much. Like, I don't know. Or come up with a workaround, like literally pay somebody to go and hold the cue cards that he was holding. Yeah. yeah. It, it might've been more, uh, I mean, it might've been a, a, a harder choice if the character was really nice like if the playwright was really a great yeah. person, but he's <laughs> such a dick that, you know, I wouldn't be risking the love of my life for that. No way. Yeah, it probably is just like character building for Tim. Like we're just showing like what a a selfless guy Tim is, you know, like to help out his his friend and roommate. That's what I think it's there for. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. And I also think it probably is meant so that we can have this next sequence in the movie, which is a fun sequence. It just like at the same time, I'm like, it doesn't make sense if I look at it too closely. So, but if we don't look at it too closely, we we get Tim's real solution, which he's looking at the paper um, the next day. And there's an ad for a Kate Moss art gallery show with uh, photographs by Mario Testino. And he knows that Mary likes Kate Moss. And so his plan as a lawyer, somehow, is he's going to go stake out this art show for a week. Sorry. I'm just like, I can't get over the fact that this man is a lawyer and he can go to an art show every day for a week, presumably. <laughs> he's Maybe he's using vacation time for this. I, I, that he hasn't, I thought it probably was just hasn't a day. I thought it was just a day. He's wearing different outfits. Like, oh, they, okay. Yeah, he's wearing different outfits. He's eating different snacks. Like, it like, is definitely, like, time has passed on this journey of his, I think. And um, it's a montage. It's set to the song Friday I'm in Love by The Cure, which I don't know how much they had to pay for it, but I but I like that they did. And um, yeah, he's staking out this Kate Moss exhibit to find um, Mary. And I'm, I'm not I had a whole bunch of research I did on Kate Moss. I'm not going to do all I'm not going to bore you guys with all of it right now. But there was an actual exhibit in London around that time. It was called Kate Who by Mario Testino. And I found a link to the show. It was running in London in September of 2010. It had 18 enlarged photographs of Kate Moss. And the works in the exhibit can also be found in the book Kate Moss by Mario Testino, released by Toshin in 2010, if you're like really into the Kate Moss that you saw in this movie. And another connection to Richard Curtis. So the Mark character from Love Actually, who holds the cue cards in Love Actually, 
Kate Moss shows up as his wife in a kind of charity sequel that was made to Love Actually, Red Nose Day Actually, that um, that Richard Curtis made for TV in 2017. So I guess Kate Moss either like either liked which what happened with her in this movie, or maybe she and Richard Curtis know each other. I don't know. Richard Curtis is really into models too. We have Claudia Schiffer in Love Actually. I feel like Kate Moss in in Britain is like a much bigger deal as well. Yeah, I mean that would make sense. And and we've got Mary's opinion of Kate Moss. So Tim sees her at the art gallery. He goes up to approach her. He kind of flubs it, but then he keeps going. I respect that he flubs his first introduction to Mary at the art gallery, but then instead of retreating to a bathroom, he actually goes back and tries again. So he continues talking to her, even though he's a complete stranger. And he finally finds out her opinion of Kate Moss. She says, quote, do you agree that the magic of her lies in her history, that the informality of her early shots compared to this stuff? So you just always know that despite the high fashion, she's still just that cheeky, normal naked girl on the beach. End quote. That, that's Mary's opinion of Kate Moss. And apparently he memorizes this opinion because he will bring it up to her later in the movie. <laughs> word for word he couldn't remember a phone number but he remembers this <laughs> pretty much pretty much like i think he's learned his lesson now and now he's just like taking in all the information he can possibly get including um mary has a boyfriend now too we learn that he she met quite recently and he is also able to remember the date and time and place where he she met this boyfriend so he can go back in time to the same party where she met this guy and meet her instead it's quite quite an ordeal compared to just going back and like getting someone else to hold the cue cards at the play or just not helping with the play in the first place. <laughs> but I guess that helps us feel that he like earned her love. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, essentially, he's he's gone back three times to like get her, which is almost kind of creepy in a way. <laughs> I'm I can't, I'm kind of getting like you know um in Eternal Sunshine of the spotless mind when like the Elijah Wood character oh. like like uses her memories to like get her oh, like to yeah. get Kate Winslet like I was kind of getting like those same sort of like creepy vibes from that like I don't know it just uh, it's fine it, it's it's cute and everything but there is just something like predatory about it even though he's like sweet and bumbly I get it um but it's I don't know it's weird I think there, for me, there is a slight difference. Like, well, there's a difference. Well, there's more than a slight difference in the two situations because, like, he did successfully woo her in that first instance when they were at the cafe. So he knows that they have, like, a basic compatibility and under the right conditions, she's into him. So I'm okay with it, with it on that level. But, yeah, Donald Gleason actually in the commentary actually also asked later if, he, if, if Richard Curtis thought something his character did was creepy, which I'll get to in a little a few moments. Um but yeah, I also think that this section of the movie brings up kind of an interesting question, though, which is that like, it kind of makes it seem like the timing and first impressions just have such a big impact on romance. Like, he meets her at this restaurant in that kind of natural situation, and everything goes smoothly. He tries to come up cold to her at the museum, and everything falls apart. Um, do you believe that there are kind of like certain people that you're going to end up no with no matter what? Or do you think that timing and circumstance play a big role in love? What do, where do you guys come down on this? Well, I'll say that uh, I think timing and first impressions have a huge part in almost any part of life when you're meeting somebody else. Uh, and I'm not that person that believes there's one person for you. I don't believe in like soulmates and that kind of stuff. So 
I think timing and first impressions absolutely have a go a, a huge way when it comes to romance. Yeah, I can agree with that to some extent that that first impressions are a big deal. But I mean, honestly, like every like meaningful relationship I've ever had, whether that was friendships or through work or or love, it's always been a slow burn for me. Like it, it wasn't necessarily the first impression. It was like the, the time, like over time. Cause I don't, I make shitty first impressions. Like I'm a bitch. Like when people first meet me <laughs> and like, so like, I hope that that's not, people don't take, I hope that's not what people take away eventually. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I'm, hmm. I don't just because I'm not very good at first impressions that I, I get that's just never worked for me. I think like for me, it's like, I think the circumstance matters as much too here because like in the restaurant, they met under like a condition that was natural. They were thrown together. But like these days, so many women and in some cases for good reasons are just like really resistant to any guy coming up and kind of just like cold talking to them. Like I'm not really opposed to it. Like I'm okay with putting up my boundaries if I need to put them up or letting someone in if I feel like letting them in. But I understand a lot of women don't want a guy coming up to them in a museum and saying, hey, my name's blah, 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 right? And he probably could have been a little smoother too. He could have like stood and admired the same photograph and been like, oh, I love this photograph. You know what I mean? Just like seeming to be having a friendly conversation. (laughs) I don't know. But yeah, I I do think that there are maybe some people that you're going to end up with no matter what. I think it's possible if he'd stayed in that timeline where she was dating Rupert and somehow become her friend, like they might have gotten together anyway. I think certain personalities just blend with each other well, and you'll end up together in the end. But circumstance, oh man, timing, maybe it can make or break things to some extent. Maybe there are people that you'd be great with, but because of how or when you met, it doesn't, it falls apart kind of makes everything seem very important. Okay, so yeah, now we come to the meeting Mary, as I put in the outline, meeting Mary again, again. (laughs) Um, He shows up at the party, Joanna's party. He manages to get Mary away from the party by talking very smoothly to her. And as Jason mentioned, word for word, um, reciting back her opinion on Kate Moss, which would be kind of creepy. Like, honestly, I would, I, I feel like if she had this like spiel about Kate Moss, this might be something she said before. You know what I mean? Like you have this, these opinions you tell your friends over and over again, like that might weird somebody out. Yeah. Yeah. He should have paraphrased for sure. <laughs> and this is the part in the commentary where Donald Gleason asked the others on the panel, if they thought it was creepy to use the exact words. And Richard Curtis said, He thought that people in most conversations try to say whatever they think will please the other person so that it's not creepy. It's just human nature. Serena, I think, do you come down on creepy here? I I think from what you said before. Yeah, I do think it's like kind of creepy. Jason? Creepy to use the same exact phrases, because clearly when she said that in the museum, it's something that she has memorized and has said before. And me, I think like, I don't think it's creepy per se, but I think it's not a good practice to pretend to have opinions that you don't hold in order to like meet somebody. I don't know. Like, I guess he was just using it as a way for them to connect again. And maybe it could be justified if that three or four hour conversation they had at the restaurant was just so fantastic. But I didn't see enough of that to to know. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Not not too creepy because I think they had a genuine connection, but like I would like to think that people aren't always just trying to say what will please another person, that they're trying to be authentic to each other. 
All right. So, and they get together, they go out to eat. Um, they have a great conversation again, apparently. <laughs> and they have sex on the first date, which I have no problem with. I've, that, I've done that before. Um, <laughs> and But then they apparently have sex several times on the first date, at least in Tim's universe, because the first time doesn't look like it went super well. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it was probably one of those uh, suntan lotion illusions <laughs> that we, yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe, probably. We get a second time, they look a little bit more, Mary looks a bit more satisfied. She's like, some people really screw it up the first time. And then for some reason, he goes for a third time. I don't know. Why did he go for a third time when it was perfectly good already? Time I think travel. he just wanted more. I think he wanted more. Uh, but he didn't expect her afterwards to ask for more. Yeah. So he ends up probably having sex four times that night. So well done, Tim, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, to be young. Yeah. Yeah. Any any other thoughts on this uh, date, the sex scenes, things like that? I thought it was hilarious. It's a, a great source of comedy and... Uh, really shows him taking that time travel to advance to his advantage for sure. I don't know. I start, my mind starts like getting like weird, you know, about like, well, what would he do with this time travel? Like I just, it, it's just weird that that's what you would use your like time travel abilities for. And I get it. It's cute and it's sweet, but I, there's just something about it that I don't, I don't like. Mm -hmm. Like, I just don't like that that's what you would use it for. And I get it. We're showing the guy. He's like a nice guy. He has morals and things like that. But, you know, I always go into like the dark side. Like, what what would you do with it if, if he wasn't a nice guy, you know? Mm, yeah. If yeah. this same kind of scene played out and it was not a nice guy, do you think that would be weird or different? Like if it was Tom Sizemore or something in this role, <laughs> do you think... You'd have a, a much different yeah, opinion. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, they made it cute and sweet, but I, I do think you get into some weird concepts with like time travel and oh my god, using you can make for sex. Yeah, you could make such a good horror movie. Like maybe there's already been an episode of Black Mirror like this, but I don't think so. You could make such a good time loop horror movie with somebody just to totally morally repugnant. I don't know if I'd want to watch it, but you could. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Like I said, that's like sometimes my mind goes there and like I'm like, oh, don't go there. It's fine. So, yeah, we come from the sex scene into a romantic montage of time passing. I did like the montage. So there's a montage. They're like kind of going down into the tube station. They are, you know, parting ways to go to work or they're going to parties together. Or they're dressed in Halloween costumes. They're moving in together. There's all this different stuff going on. And the song playing is called How Long Will I Love You? Um, originally, the song was written by Mike Scott and performed by the Waterboys in 1990. But this version that appears in the scene is performed by John Bowden, Sam Sweeney, and Ben Coleman. I thought it was a really nice song, really beautiful. And I, and I, I related to the um, going off to work together on the subway thing. My husband and I used to do that in Korea. And we had a lot of hugs and kisses in the subway. So that reminded me of those days. So I like this scene. I really like this scene, too. I thought it was a great way to display how time was passing as you see them not only going to work, but then you see like Kit Kat there hanging out with them. Now we know that she's met the family. You see him physically bringing things from his place to hers. 
I thought it was a great scene and a great way to pass time. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I do. I love this this scene too, and the and the music. It was it's just really well done. Yeah, I think this is one of the places where I most felt the chemistry. Funny enough, I think sometimes music does that for me in a movie too. If the song's really good, so yeah. We come now to the reappearance of Charlotte, Margot Robbie's character. Uh, Tim sees her at a play, does a couple of redos talking to her because he keeps putting his foot in his mouth, (laughs) then decides he's not going to approach her at all. She approaches him. And all of a sudden, Margot Robbie's really into Tim. They go out to dinner. She's basically proposing they have sex to him. And it's in that very moment that Tim realizes he doesn't want to, or at least he doesn't feel the need to go to bed with Charlotte anymore. He runs back home to propose to Mary. This scene is actually one that I don't love. And I don't love it because, I mean, he's sitting, he's standing there at her front door and you as an audience member are like, hopefully he doesn't go in there. Because if he does go in there, even if he travels back in time, this movie is ruined because now I don't like this character. Uh, But to me, even the fact that he got to her door, Ah. like the fact that he went to dinner with her is a little disappointing. Like I certainly wouldn't do that with somebody with my girlfriend or, you know, now wife at home sleeping. Uh, That just seemed a little bit weird to me, especially because he kicks his friend to the curb to do it. Um, Yeah, I, I didn't. This is one of the scenes I really didn't like. So you felt like he was sort of flirting with cheating there, basically. Yeah, like he got far enough that it was like, well, she if she knew about this, she probably wouldn't be happy. Mm. And that's that was a, a tough pill for me to swallow that immediately he goes home and proposes in like the least romantic way possible. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, about that proposal. Uh, she is <laughs> actually sleeping when he gets home and she's like, Don't wake me up, like I'm sleeping. <laughs> and and yet he persists with proposing marriage to her. So you're saying bad proposal, Jason, Serena? I mean, oh, but he sad. didn't he try to make it a little better? Don't you see like a he had like the band in the other room? Yeah, and he must have gone back in time to do that. But still, like being proposed to when you're sleeping in bed, where do you come down on that, Serena? Yeah, it's kind of weird. And it's kind of weird that it happened right after the whole um, Charlotte incident. Like, it, it, I don't know, it just feels sort of rushed and not special anymore. Hmm. You know, it was it was more of like him being suddenly anxious or something. And then that's why he proposed. So... Yeah, I didn't particularly like that scene either, but she did say that she didn't want it to be like a big fanfare thing, but Mm -hmm. it it was probably better to do it when she was like, you know, actually awake. Yes. I think I read Tim's motives somewhat more charitably in that I kind of never, as a viewer, thought he was going to cheat on Mary with Charlotte. I kind of never thought he was. I think to me, like, and I think to me, the reason he rushes to see Mary is that like maybe Charlotte had occupied this kind of idealized place in his mind or like you know the sexiest woman or whatever and like maybe encountering her in reality he all of a sudden realized that no like mary is that to him and like charlotte was never really anything and like he's like lost his illusions and like he's seen clearly like that he has everything he needs in front of him i guess that's my charitable reading of tim i think that but i do think yeah don't don't 
don't propose to someone who's asleep. Oh my God, Lee would have killed me if I'd ever done something like that. He loves sleeping <laughs> so much. Like, <laughs> I probably would have accepted it, but like, you know, there's better ways. Go to the, go to the beach. You got this beautiful beach house, go propose on the beach or something. I don't know. They do then in fact, go to the beach. They bring Mary home um, so that uncle Desmond can not know who she is and wonder who Tim is marrying, et cetera. <laughs> I don't know. That's so weird. <laughs> And apparently Mary is also pregnant now, we find out, after he has told his family that they're getting married. So this is a Richard Curtis movie, and he wrote Four Weddings and a Funeral, so it is not terribly surprising that we spend a lot of time in this movie on a wedding. I think Richard Curtis does weddings pretty well. Um, my favorite thing about this wedding is the dress. Um, Rachel McAdams' Mary is wearing this like beautiful red dress. It's like probably my favorite wedding dress I've ever seen in a movie. They're also... A unique thing about this movie wedding is that Mary walks down to the aisle to a song that Tim particularly loves, Il Mondo by Jimmy Fontana. Little backstory on this Italian pop song. Apparently, this is a song that Richard Curtis heard as a child on a holiday in Elba when it was number one in Italy. And that would have been in 1965. And Richard Curtis said he would order lemon sorbet and play the song on the jukebox. And he always wanted to include it in one of his movies. So here it is. <laughs> All right. Um, it's also a song that like Tim's character in the movie has in common with his dad. So once again, we're bringing the dad element into the into this wedding. And other things about this wedding, it is on it occurs on a very rainy and windy day. We see everybody leaving the church, and their dresses are blowing around. Their hair is being destroyed. Um, they go to have a reception in a tent. The tent falls down, and water pours on everyone. And I think we're meant to think that he then goes back in time and doesn't rent a tent and they have the reception indoors. I uh, yeah. didn't get that sense. Oh, no? Because I see no, it. That's not I how I read it. Uh, I've noticed that everyone was particularly dry yes. once they were inside. So that's yes. what I also wondered about that. Like, I was like, oh, now they're inside. Okay, so that didn't happen. I don't know. Yeah, I feel that, like that could have been clearer. I feel that they reset the, they, they, like the wedding took place in the same church, but then he can't like went back in time and didn't do the tent because like, yeah, like Serena said, everybody's so dry and nobody looks disgruntled. Nobody's makeup is running. I just feel like, <laughs> yeah. Like, I, see, I, uh, I could have taken it like that, but then he has a line to Rachel McAdams later on when he asks if there's anything she would have changed. And she says, no. And he says, even like the, all the water and everybody getting wet or something like that. And she says no. So that's why I took it as that okay. still happened. I feel like they would have gotten wet walking to the reception hall. So I feel like that could, but, but yeah, we could take it either way. It wasn't 100% clear. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing he does redo numerous times is he tries out different best men at his wedding. So we get to see his lawyer friend, Rory, who's kind of this adorable dork. Um, give a really bad speech. We get to see his friend Jay give a really raucous bachelor type speech. And we get to see Harry give this like, I don't remember Harry's. It's probably just dark, right? I can't remember Harry's speech. Actually, I can't really remember it either. So I guess it wasn't that memorable because yeah. I just saw the movie like two hours ago. And finally, he um, ends up choosing his dad as best man. And, and his dad gives a speech. But then we see that the, the power of time travel in both of them, his dad informs him that he's going to go back and do a speech again. <laughs> and what would that be like? Your dad basically telling you, I'm just going to go erase the last like 20 minutes of your life or something. 
I mean, that's what he does too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's what's weird about it. But it's trippy that his dad tells him. Like, I think I would almost rather not know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, well once anyway. he goes into the closet because he, Bill Nye goes without him. So clearly he wouldn't remember that his dad went back in yeah. time, right? Yeah. In that moment. Unless, like, we're going to talk later about whether there's a multiverse. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, my mind is a little boggled <laughs> by how this thing works. <laughs> yes, yes. But anyway, um, yeah, dad redoes his speech because he didn't say I love you the first time. And so this is dad's revised best man speech. Later on, I may tell you about Tim's many failings as a man and as a table tennis player. But important first to say the one big thing. I've only loved three men in my life. My dad was a frosty bugger, so that only leaves dear Uncle Desmond, um, B.B. King, obviously, and this young man here. I'd only give one piece of advice to anyone marrying. We're all quite similar in the end. We all get old and tell the same tales too many times. But try and marry someone kind. And this is a kind man with a good heart. I'm not particularly proud of many things in my life, but I am very proud to be the father of my son. Yeah. Good old Bill Nye. He does a good job of being sort of like bumbling natural. Yeah, no, he does. Yeah. And this is like probably to me, one of the more moving sections of the movie, actually. Like I said, I really feel like the father son relationship is a bit stronger than the central romance in the movie. And just the example it sets of like, men like expressing love and affection towards each other, I think is really nice to see. Agreed. What's your kind of relationship with your dad? Does does this resonate with you on any level? Either like you wish you had it or you do have it? Uh, My dad and I have a very interesting relationship. It's a very less is more like he and I can sit in a room and just like not speak for a long time. (laughs) And that's fine. And that's just how we are. Uh, It's definitely not the type of relationship that Tim and his father have. I particularly like the uh, the little dance they share when when uh, Tim is at the altar. Uh, Yeah, that's that's not me and my dad. (laughs) Me and my dad are like, you know, we can talk once a month, maybe once every two months and everything's fine. Uh, But we don't really have that much to say to each other. It's just like, how are things? Good. Cool. Yeah, that's that's kind of how we are. Yeah, but there's not a feeling of lack there, it sounds like. I think for me, the movie makes me a little sad because I would like to have like this closer relationship. But yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, nothing like that. Okay, so obviously Mary is pregnant. So the first baby comes right after this wedding. And there's a line in the film. Jason, would you actually like to do the honors of reading this line? Because you're the only one of us with a child or children or child. Child, yeah, one, four years old. And he says in voiceover, no one can ever prepare you for what happens when you have a child. When you see the baby in your arms and you know that it's your job now, no one can prepare you for the love and the fear. Totally true, by the way. 
Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, I've been a nanny, so I've, you know, worked with children, but it's a very different thing. Like you give them back at the end of the day. Of course, I always wanted to take very good care. And Serena's been a nanny too. I've always wanted to take very good care of the kids, but like, but it wasn't like all on me. So you do you relate? Yeah. You relate to this as a parent, this, this whole section here. Absolutely. It's one of those things that you can't even, you can't even describe it because you have to experience it to really know. And people tried to explain it to me before I was a dad. And, and again, like you can try to, to imagine it, but once you have a kid, it's just this whole, this whole new thing. So my kid was born at, he was born early four pounds, four ounces. And I remember sitting there with him, this like tiny thing, like, wow, I have to, uh, I have to spend the next 18 years preparing you to like go and be on your own. And there are these just immense fears that you have about that. But at the same time, there's this unbreakable bond and, and love that you have with this, you know, stranger all of a sudden it's, uh, it's quite an experience. I'm really happy when we have parents on the show because you definitely give a different experience, like a perspective on these films. So thank you. Yeah. And I'll tell you the next quote uh, that he says does not 100% ring true for me. (laughs) (laughs) You want to give that one too? (laughs) Sure. He says, suddenly time travel seems almost unnecessary because every detail of life is so delightful. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Not 100% true. (laughs) I put in the notes that like I've known a lot of parents and like they need their sleep. Um, I could imagine them time traveling to get some rest maybe or <laughs> although I don't know how that would work exactly. But like, yeah, parents in the first few years of parenthood, I've seen them as a nanny and, and been witness to some of the harder parts of it. So, yeah, any more you want to elaborate or? I mean, there are obviously those details of life that are so delightful, as he says, but there's a lot of stuff about having a kid that is not pretty and is not fun. And I would most certainly time travel back to do some of those things again or (laughs) to avoid doing some of those things at all. So I'm glad that his baby is such an easy one that he feels like it's all awesome. Yeah, like I can even imagine like, oh, like anticipating that the baby's gonna like need a diaper change a little sooner or something. <laughs> Just like Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, there are some things like that I would have I would have redone. We now go to Tim and his sister, and Kit Kat's life has kind of become a bit of a mess. He they kind of blame it on this bad boyfriend she met at that New Year's Eve party long ago. But she's also seems to be becoming an alcoholic, um, losing her jobs or leaving her jobs. And Kit Kat eventually gets in an accident. I think it's at his at Tim's daughter's Posey's first birthday party. She doesn't show up and it turns out she's been in a car accident while drunk driving. And this leads to Tim deciding that he's going to help Kit Kat. He's going to change her life. And he lets Kit Kat in on the family time travel secret, takes her to the cupboard and they go back to the New Year's Eve party. And the decision that Tim makes is he tells Kit Kat, don't end up with this guy. I can't remember her bad boyfriend's name, but don't go up to him at the party this time. See what happens. And sure enough, that guy meets a different girl. And then they go back into the cupboard and return to the future. And it's like sort of like the what has happened in the interim years have been sort of uploaded in Kit Kat's brain, but apparently not Tim's. Yeah. Yes. Yes. 
Yeah, they uh-huh. go they go back into their future and suddenly Kit Kat's with the the Jay, the friend, Tim's friend Jay, and she's happy and she's healthy and everything else. And then one of the funny okay, I know this shouldn't be funny, but one of the funniest parts of this movie to me is when it like briefly turns into a horror movie. Tim goes back home. <laughs> He goes into the kitchen to feed Posey <laughs> and he finds this like tiny little baby boy. And there's like almost this like horror movie music playing when he looks at this baby. Yes. Yes. Just- yeah. The baby does not look like he is the father, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Kind of look like a little Jon Snow or something. Oh, yeah. just the juxtaposition, though, of that adorable little baby and the adorable little face with like horror music. <laughs> And he's like, I, I got to go back to the other timeline. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that baby is just erased completely from anybody's memory. I know. Unless there's like a multiverse. I, he just kills so the baby. Like, I, <laughs> I initially thought that the horror music was playing because it was a boy. Oh. That's, that's like, that's where my mind went is that like, he was like, oh no, it's another time traveling boy, you know, like, I don't know, like he would feel like his girls were safe, even though we did just see him time travel with Kit Kat, which just made me think that maybe all of the children can time travel, but only the Ooh. boys are the ones that are told about it. A conspiracy theory within the movie. I like it. <laughs> That's literally like what I thought. I was like, so wait, she could time travel this whole time. And, like, no one told her about it? Yeah. I, you're always coming up with the conspiracy theories, Serena, but I respect <laughs> it. Okay. I know. It's just where my mind goes. Sorry. That's all right. That's all right. Anyway, like, I feel really bad for the tiny little boy baby that is rejected. But, I mean, I understand. Like, you develop an attachment to your little baby. You want to have the same baby. What I don't understand is how exactly he undoes all of this. Like, does he redo the moment where he told Kit Kat about time traveling and that therefore undoes the... Like, how does this work? Like, what do you guys think? What did you assume happened? This is one of those uh, weird things about the logic in the time travel I took it as that. I took it as him going back to the time when he told her and just he doesn't tell her and he just lets it ride out. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be the most sensible thing. Like, otherwise, you'd have to I don't even know where where you would go otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I can't remember what time order this happened in, but there's a very significant line that Mary delivers in the movie. When Tim's talking about wanting to help Kit Kat, Mary says, if it's going to be fixed, I think she probably has to do it herself. And yeah, I think that's telegraphing to the audience that like time travel can't fix everything. It can't fix everyone. And that there's certain lessons that people just have to learn by going through hard times, which fortunately Kit Kat ends up sort of hitting bottom with this traffic accident, realizing she needs to leave her bad boyfriend and quit drinking on her own without the intervention of time traveling. And I think that's a pretty deep message. One of the better messages in the movie that we just sometimes have to go through a tough time to learn. So we've been we've been skirting around the edges of this issue. But the big question is, do the rules of time travel in this movie make sense? So there's an article by Megan Gibson, who wrote in Time magazine. <laughs> um, she points out a few problems with the time travel rules. Number one, Tim is merging with his past self when he goes back in time. Like there's not two Tims running around in any of these time travel sequences. 
so she also asked, why is he sometimes in the closet when he goes back when he wasn't in the closet in those timelines? Like at the New Year's party, he was out in the party. He wasn't in the closet. So like, does his self from that timeline suddenly disappear and, and from his conversation? Like what's actually happening mechanically there? Anyway, that's problem number one. Any thoughts about that? There's there's no way to explain it. Uh, like the, the time travel in this movie is is Swiss cheese. It's so full of holes. And if you try to apply any logic to it, none of it makes sense. It all falls down like a house of cards. Yeah. I think that's the biggest problem like that this writer identified. It's just that like, if there's not two of them and he's merging with this other guy, that brings up a multiple like multitude of problems. Like number one, like how does this guy disappear to the closet? Number two, like, is there like another, is that Tim version left there? afterwards and reoccupies his timeline i don't even know anyway the second problem she identified i don't really think is a problem um that is that the movie says only men can time travel but kit kat is able to travel with tim for me it's like if, if she's holding on to him or whatever i feel like maybe he could bring people and i can resolve that in my mind i i just take it as that she could always time travel <laughs> and and no one told her about it and jason do you do you agree that that one's resolved easily in some way not particularly. Okay, okay. I think it would have been more interesting if Tim had just gone back in time and and hatched a plot to to stop them from meeting. That's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Like he would have kicked kicked him out of the party or like somehow avoided their meeting. Yeah, you're right. That would have yeah. been way way easier. Okay, and then the other problem is that she mentions this art in this article is the dad says that they can't travel to the future, but they're able to travel back to their own future. Like, I, I guess I could resolve that in my mind, just being like it has already been lived by that person so they can do it. Yeah, he basically says as he says he can't travel to where he hasn't been. So it's okay. fine with me that he's able to travel into his own future. Yeah. Although those futures are changed, clearly. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how that really works. Yeah. And then the fourth thing is kind of a spoiler. So I'm not going to mention it right now. <laughs> like we can talk about it when we get to that. But the one, but I do kind of wonder, like, I do kind of wonder if there is a multiverse being created here at any time. Like are Tim and his dad just creating like a ridiculous number of multiverses in which there are also time traveling versions of themselves creating yet more multiverses. <laughs> Or are they just constantly rewriting time, not only for themselves, but for everyone else and for each other? It, it either seems to me like there have to be like sort of limitless universes where there's different versions of Tim and dad doing different things, or that these guys are so central to the entire world at this point that they can just erase everybody's lives other than like their own consciousness. What do you guys think? <laughs> that's a full question <laughs> i mean i thought about this with groundhog day too is like phil connor's creating multiverses every time he loops or like 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 it's either like he's the center of the world and everyone else's lives matter so much less that he's like constantly sleeping with them or driving into crazy traffic with them and doing all this weird stuff to them or are there multiverses in which phil has to deal with the consequences of all these things I will just say that I hope that it's splintering off into multiverses because if it's not, then Tim definitely just eliminated like a four month old baby and plenty of other human beings <laughs> that would have existed within those four months. Yeah. Oh. Ethically, if you're not creating multiverses, it seems it starts to get really dicey, I feel like. 
And this brings us to the big question like that I've, I, we've asked on all these time travel episodes. How would you guys use this power if you had it? And would you have any misgivings about it? That's a good question. Uh, I think I would use it in very strategic circumstances. Like I said, the the Back to the Future 2 thing, like betting on games that have already happened that I know the outcome on. Uh, but I, I probably wouldn't use it for large scale events because I would be afraid of what happened to Tim in that moment where, you know, his family was different. It's uh, that is not something I would want to have to deal with. Yeah, that's really a tough question. Like you said, like a lot of the stuff, it's like you need to go through it in order mm. to advance as a person and um, emotionally and like with your career and all of those things where I almost feel like you're, it just doesn't make sense to me, like how all of that information is in his head, you mm. know, and he's able to like retain all of that. Like, wouldn't you just eventually drive yourself into insanity? You would get all of those timelines confused. That's another interesting point. Yeah. I think as a young person, like Tim's age, when he's in this movie, 21, 22, 23, I would have used it a lot. And I would have probably wanted to change really big things that happened. Like um, my mom had already passed away. But if that had happened, like when I had this power or whatever, like I probably would have used it to like go back in time and prevent her from dying in this car accident. But like when I think about it now as an older person, the impact that her death had on me, the impact it had on my brother the people it allowed us to become, I wonder like if that would have even been a good decision, you know, or what else bad might've happened if mom hadn't died, you know, maybe somebody else would have died instead close to me. Maybe I would have died. I don't know. And like the experience, even the worst experiences in your life are sometimes things that lead to like beautiful things. Like my brother became very spiritual, became a meditation teacher pretty much directly as a result of going through that experience of my mom dying in the car accident. So as horrible as it sounds to say, sometimes I think maybe it's better to let your life unfold as it unfolds. I don't know. Like from the perspective of where I am now, I yeah. don't know. It's just hard to predict how things will turn out, you know, like whether maybe you're just meant to be living these hard times and this set of circumstances and learning from them. Yeah. Tough to think about. Okay, now we're going to begin the spoiler section. So I know that it may seem that we spoiled a lot already, but there's more to come. So if you have not seen the movie About Time, this is your chance to bow out and rejoin us after you've seen it. So we come to this kind of comic scene where Mary is trying on various dresses to impress some work colleagues. I gave up trying on lots of outfits for my husband years ago. So <laughs> I think we had maybe one incident like this. Oh, I totally related to this scene. And for my wife and I, it was actually one of the funnier moments in this movie. Yeah, it's just kind of like Mary tries on dress after dress. She's trying to get Tim's opinion. He basically doesn't really care that much, except about one particularly hideous dress. And then she ends up, I think, wearing the same dress that she started with. This comic scene is kind of interrupted, though, um, by a phone call. They get a call from Tim's mom. And in the next scene, we find out that Tim's dad is dying of cancer. And we get this little heart to heart between Tim and his dad. And we find out they've had this conversation before. Dad's tried the conversation before. And then there's a really interesting thing that happens in this conversation. Interesting to me anyway. There's a line that seems to imply that the dad retired at 50 because he knew he was going to die of cancer. Because he says, 
The only people who give up work at 50 are the time travelers with cancer who want to play more table tennis with their sons. And he had already retired at the beginning of the movie when Tim was only 21 years old before he knew about the time travel. So does this imply that like um, Bill Nye's character lived like all these years already and Tim was made totally different choices and everyone else in the family made totally different choices because he had been working still? That's how I took yeah. it. Yeah, I took it as him yeah. finding out and then he just continuously time traveled to kind of like stave the cancer off. Yeah, this gets really weird for me because it's like he's seen maybe Tim grow up and like maybe date other women or he's seen Kit Kat. I don't know what Kit Kat did in these other universes. Like maybe she was still an alcoholic. Maybe she was thriving. Like it's really weird to consider what might have what the dad might have seen. Right. Or like how how Tim would have been different if his dad wasn't with him all that time. And then it, it sort of changes the that wedding speech as well. Like hmm. it's almost like maybe his dad, like he became this like nice person because hmm. his dad was more available to him during his formative years. Yeah. yeah. It also again brings into question the logistics of the time travel uh, <laughs> yeah. because if Tim, for example, can like have sex three times in one night and he's tired from that, then clearly the body isn't regenerating itself when it goes back in time. But the dad's cancer has like, you know, for at least what is this an eight year span or whatever it is? uh, He's had this same level of cancer. So that that's something that uh, kind of dog eared in my notes. Oh, good spotting. Good spotting. I did not notice that the effect on the body is very important. Yeah. Okay, but if we're not looking too deeply into the time travel, which this movie is really better experienced without doing that. Sorry for listeners <laughs> yes. for putting this all in your mind. Um, if we're not looking too deep into that, we have a nice scene between father and son where dad tells him a secret formula for happiness as a time traveler. And this is one of the things that I don't love that they did as a voiceover. This is kind of like Tim telling us what his dad told him. I would have loved to see Bill Nye actually deliver some dialogue about this. Maybe even Bill Nye doing the voiceover. I don't know. But it's with it's delivered in um, Tim's voiceover. And the secret formula, it turns out, is to get on with your ordinary life, live it day to day, and then live every day again, almost exactly the same, but the second time really notice everything. Like, I, I like the thought of that, that like your ordinary life is good enough. And if you live it twice, you can like really experience it and notice it. But honestly, like, I would be like so caught up with like what did I do at that time of day <laughs> I don't know like wouldn't you be really self-conscious like did I turn this way did I turn that way like did I read that article what do you guys think I I think I would definitely get to the point where I would do it once or twice and then realize I don't want to live that day again <laughs> I, I think I'd get kind of lazy with it I do appreciate what Richard Curtis is trying to say with this though that we maybe don't when we're in it, when we're stressed out about our life and the decisions we have to make, we're maybe not noticing all these little moments. Like the second time you watch a movie, you notice different things about it when you're not worrying so much about the plot. I can kind of see what Richard Curtis is saying there, you know? Yeah. So that brings me to a question. If you could relive today over again, um, is there anything you think you'd approach slightly differently or appreciate more the second time around? 
Yeah, I think the appreciation thing would more play out just like in Tim's day. He does basically the same things. I think that I would appreciate things differently living the same day. And and that's why I really like this uh, this message and that key to happiness. Uh, my kid just started school this week for the first time. It's the first oh. time where he's going to school from nine. He has an after school program. So he's he's out of the house from nine to five. And those small moments where you're trying to get him out of the car into school so I can get to uh, start my work. Um, you know, sometimes that stuff feels rushed when it's like, wow, this kid is going to school on his own for eight hours a day. Like that's that's something that I would definitely stop to appreciate more and most likely will do tomorrow morning. Nice. I think I would spend way less time on my phone as much as it's a way to connect with people. I never I never feel good after I've spent too many hours on the phone. So I'd probably put it down and take a walk outside today instead. So I would do actually something differently. And Serena, anything for you? Uh, No, you know, I had a pretty like normal day. Now that I'm not like working right now, my days are like pretty great. (laughs) I just, I just kind of, I'm like rewatching Game of Thrones and we're working, we're working on some boat projects yeah, maybe I would go back in time and uh, make some of the boat projects a little easier because sometimes you spend way too much time trying to figure something out. <laughs> Just make, make them shorter. I guess yeah, I'd do that. Yeah. You could uh, troubleshoot the things you already learned. Uh, that makes <laughs> yeah, sense. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So now that we know the dad's dying, um, there's a problem that comes about because Mary now wants to have another kid. And... We, we know from the scary little tiny boy baby that was a different baby that Tim can no longer time travel. Yeah, Tim can no longer time travel back before his child was, in my mind, it would be conceived, right? Like later, it's a little confusing because like he time travels back to see his dad like after the baby's been conceived, but before it's been born, whatever. He hasn't seen the baby yet anyway. But um, yeah. this is going to cause a problem. If he has another baby, he's not going to have access to seeing his dad anymore. And this is kind of like the central sort of ethical or not maybe ethical, but just like kind of like personal decision that Tim has to make in this movie. Is he going to choose to have another kid with his wife and keep going forward? Or is he going to be kind of in the past visiting with his dad? I thought this was a really moving part of the movie because he has to. It's it's time to give up his relationship with his dad in order to have another child like there's all of a sudden a stop and uh, I thought that was an interesting element to the movie and it's not like an ethical thing where he's actually going to kill his dad his dad is going to be just as dead like I guess right <laughs> like it's it's not like he's really yeah. bringing his dad back to life when he's going back in time he's just sort of rewriting another multiverse or creating another memory I don't know dad is only really alive for him anyway But the last time he travels back to see his dad, his dad has a request for him. And that's that dad and Tim time travel together for the first time, as far as we know, to Tim's childhood. And they just take a little walk on the beach by themselves. Um, One casting note, uh, apparently the little boy in that scene was played by Richard Curtis's son, Charlie, who already knew Bill Nye. So it made filming that scene a lot more enjoyable and easier than working with some strange child actor he'd never met before. So that's kind of nice. Yeah, I feel like that's a kind of risky thing to go like little boy and and dad, but it was moving. It was touching. It was a nice scene. 
Yeah, I liked it. And this is another one of those scenes that uh, made me tear up inside. Like this is basically his last request. And I really like that part. Okay, so we come now to like sort of I would call it almost like an epilogue of sorts to the movie. It's kind of less it's like less plot than it is kind of like here's a message that Richard Curtis wanted to impart the whole time. Um, Tim says that he no longer travels back in time and he gives this little voiceover. It's a very short clip of kind of what he's learned. I think I've learned the final lesson from my travels in time. And I've even gone one step further than my father did. Oh. No, don't worry. I'll do them. Yeah, you do them, you lazy bum. <laughs> the truth is, I now don't travel back at all, not even for the day. I just try to live every day as if I've deliberately come back to this one day, to enjoy it as if it was the full final day of my extraordinary, ordinary life. You really get the feeling that this is like, this is the inspiration for Richard Curtis. This is what made him make this whole movie. It does have some heft to it too. It did make me start to try to appreciate moments in my life. I will say that. I agree. And it makes you think about how you're going to look at things differently when the movie is over for sure. And he also gives a line um, after this. We're all traveling through time together every day of our lives. All we can do is do our best to relish this remarkable life. And yeah, I think it's a great message. Um, and I will say like, Jason, I don't mean to beg on this movie so much. I think if you don't look at the time travel stuff too closely, and if you focus on like the family story and the message in the movie, I think it has like really beautiful aspects to the movie. And I think there's really great comic beats in the movie as well. Um, so I do feel like this movie is delivering a lot of meaning, even if I don't always like, even if I don't enjoy every minute of it, you know what I'm saying? Or, or I don't find the romantic couple that compelling, but I think there's a lot to it. Sure. Like, yeah. Message wise. I think it of, of um, Richard Curtis's three uh, movies that he directed. I also definitely feel like there's the most um, weight to this movie, if you will. Although I like both of the others for their own merits as well. Any final thoughts about the movie as a whole? I will say that the soundtrack in this movie is great. Uh, in addition to the Cure song, you have songs from Amy Winehouse, Ben Folds. That song uh, that, that goes through the time passing montage is great. Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Just a really good soundtrack to this movie. Yeah, I almost considered doing a section on the soundtrack. But yeah, I agree. There's some really good songs on it as well. And it was important to Richard Curtis, apparently, especially, especially the Ben Folds song. He said he was writing with that song playing, actually. And Serena, any final thoughts? Um, yeah, like you said, as long as you don't look too closely <laughs> at the the time travel stuff, I feel like the time travel stuff was just kind of like a, a vessel to get these sort of themes across. Um, it is a really a nice, touching um, movie to watch um, with good characters, and it's it's a good movie. Yeah. And I hate to destroy this like beautiful mood with like, I just had one of my random thoughts I did want to bring up though, which is the one thing that like is really hard for me to look away from is that Tim never tells Mary about his ability to time travel. And 
that for me is like the one thing that is the weirdest about the movie because I would hate having such a huge secret from Lee, you know? Like, I don't think I could do it. If somebody gave me the choice, like, you can have the ability to time travel, but you can never tell Lee. Or you cannot have the ability to time travel. I just think I would just not have the ability to time travel. I don't think I would be able to keep it from Lee. I just like, we tell each other everything. So um, they kind of talked about it in the commentary. And Richard Curtis says that he didn't have Tim tell his wife, quote, because it would just complicate their lives to a hideous degree, I think. And he's just following his dad's example. Like, did this strike either of you either? Or like, like keeping that secret? Like, it feels like it would be so hard. Yeah, it's definitely um, not the healthiest thing in, in a relationship, I think, especially to keep a secret like that. Uh, it struck me as a little bit weird. The first time I watched it, I thought there would be a, a, some point when he would tell her. But yeah, he never does. All right. Are we ready to do double feature recommendations? Yeah. All right. So I think we can trade off doing double feature recommendations. Um, uh, one one at a time. Um, and so my first double feature recommendation is going to be another Rachel McAdams movie, The Vow from 2012. And I think I've actually recommended this as a double feature before. It's a romance about a woman who loses her memory, her husband played by Channing Tatum. And I just, I'm recommending this movie because in terms of romances that Rachel McAdams has been in, I think she has the best chemistry with Channing Tatum. It's kind of a beautiful story. It's an interesting what if scenario. It's kind of really loosely based on a true story. The true story is not as romantic, so I don't recommend reading up on it. It was more like the couple in that case, like sort of stayed together because out of Christian duty or something. In this case, it's kind of, yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not quite as romantic. In this case, it's more kind of a story about how like love can conquer anything like, like people will be drawn back to each other inevitably. Anyway, this it's a really, it's a great Rachel, Rachel McAdams performance. And I think it would be well paired with this movie. I had kind of a hard time with this. Like I was trying to figure out like what I was trying to think of other like time travel movies. And I know that you're doing quite a few Jen in the podcast, mm-hmm. um, but one that is like a not time travel, but what that deals with the concepts of time is 1998's Sliding Doors with Gwyneth Paltrow. I, I remember at the time watching it because I was probably like a, a an oldish teenager and those that kind of thing really stuck with me about basically the premise of it is you're following two different timelines of Gwyneth Paltrow's character um, just depending on whether or not she misses a train. So what happens if she gets on the train and then that timeline and then what happens when she misses the train and that timeline. I, I really like movies like that explore time like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's my, <laughs> that's my, one of my double features. And I'm just going to note, funny enough, Sophia recommended that on 13 going on 30 too. So great minds are oh, thinking really? alike. Yeah. You guys oh, are thinking okay, alike. Okay. <laughs> that's funny. Um, so for my first double feature recommendation, when I'm programming double and triple features, I'm always trying to thread some themes throughout. Uh, my first theme here is, of course, the time travel element. And I picked Safety Not Guaranteed from 2012, which is a really great indie comedy um, that has a great cast, Mark Duplass, Aud- Aubrey Plaza, uh, and directed by Colin Trevorrow, who ended up doing the Jurassic Park movies. Mm. This is one of the, it's a really influential movie 
based on like low budgets that can make a lot of money on streaming. But uh, essentially, it's a movie about a personal ad where this guy puts an ad in the paper and says, I'm looking for somebody to travel through time with me. And they go to see if this guy is for real. And it's a really, really interesting, really fun movie. Yeah, funny enough, I just watched that this week for the first time. And yeah, I liked it too. And I, it's actually, I think, one of my favorites, if not my favorite Aubrey Plaza performance in a movie. So yeah. Ah, uh, you got to see Black Bear. Maybe that will change your mind. Oh, yeah. I've heard of that, too. I want to see that as well. <laughs> All right. So my second double feature recommendation is another Richard Curtis written and directed movie, Pirate Radio, also called The Boat That Rocked, which came out in 2009. Have either of you seen this, by the way? No. No. I really recommend it. Um, it's It's got some of the Richard Curtis things I don't love so much, which is it's definitely like very focused on the male characters and at times there's a little bit of like mild sexism but it's got a fantastic cast um, including a great cast of British actors including including Tom Sturridge who's currently playing Sandman on the Netflix show it's also got Philip Seymour Hoffman in a fantastic performance um, Bill Nye is there of course um, it's basically I don't know if it's a 100% true story but at least it's inspired by true events of a time in Britain when they didn't play pop or rock music on the radio proper. So they set up all these different boats with pirate radio stations off the coast of Britain and people were listening to them all the time and the government's trying to shut them down. So I think it would also make a good pairing with a movie like almost famous. Like it has that same kind of like rock and roll spirit to it and ensemble cast spirit. But here I'm putting it with about time just because it's got, you know, some of the Richard Curtis hallmarks and humor and shares Bill Nye. So Definitely check this movie out if you haven't seen it. It was a really good time. My second choice for a double feature is 2012's Looper. Um, For me, I chose this because obviously we're having a lot of hard time with the time travel in this. And I felt like Looper did a a really good job with their time travel. It it stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Mm. Bruce Willis. And I mean, it's kind, it's kind of got like a wacky concept, um, but basically it's about assassins that are sent into the future. I mean, this is my preferred genre is, is sci-fi um, and that kind of stuff. But yeah, that to me, like this, this makes more sense to me as far <laughs> as like time travel <laughs> and like it, it makes like my brain feel better. Like, so yeah, I chose that just so because I wanted something that had more uh time travel that made more sense yeah i can feel it yeah (laughs) looper's got one of my favorite uh child actor performances as well in the kid who played sid in that movie yeah yeah i do really like this movie i think it was it was like shockingly good i didn't think i would like it and then i was like whoa this is good uh, speaking of movies that I did not think I was going to like and was shocked at how good it was, keeping with my uh, my themes, Rachel McAdams is probably one of my favorite actresses, mm. and she was in a movie in 2017 called Game Night that I think would pair up nicely with this. She and Jason Bateman play a couple who are extremely competitive and uh, also has the side theme of having a baby. But have either of you seen the comedy Game Night? I have not yet. No. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's way better than it should be. I, I, that seems like a rude way of saying it. But normally these feel like throwaway comedies. And this has just exquisite camera lens work. 
It's really, really funny. All the actors are great in it. Highly recommended. Um, yeah, don't take it as like another stupid comedy. It is really <laughs> funny. Cool. So um, my final double feature recommendation, admittedly, I have not seen this movie in a while, but I actually did cry at least one of the times when I watched this movie. I'm going to recommend another Rachel McAdams performance, another Rachel McAdams time travel performance, 2009's The Time Traveler's Wife. And yeah, I'm not even going to like basically go into the plot because I barely I barely remember the details of the plot. I just remember being watching this movie, I think in a DVD room in Korea, which is a little room you go to watch dvds with lee and yeah it's a weird thing kids go on dates in them anyway we were in this dvd room and we were watching this movie together and i just remember like sobbing towards the end of the movie so haven't seen it since but i I gotta say if if a movie makes me cry it usually means that it did a good job so i'm gonna recommend time traveler's wife rachel rachel mcadams pair with this movie two time travel specials for my last pick i picked 1986 peggy sue got married i love this movie from childhood and i mean it's like it's not, i guess it's a time travel movie because yeah. she does go back in time for sure but they don't really like go into how she does it's just as like magic um i believe it involves like yeah. some kind of elk's lodge or freemasons or something yeah <laughs> I haven't seen it in a long time, so I'm not sure of the details. But um, when I was looking it up, I was surprised that it's directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. I did not actually know that. Um, but yeah, it's just like kind of a, a sweet movie about a funny movie about going back in time and redoing your youth, basically, or some certain circumstances and like who you would fall in love with and how you would change that. So yeah, Peggy Sue got married. Kathleen Turner in one of her younger days. And also Nicolas Cage, right? That's the yeah. guy who plays her. Um, yep. I think there's also a like a Jim Carrey cameo or something. Yeah, yeah, he sings. He sings in the movie as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, that's my my pick. Um, my final recommendation here is one of my favorite first time watches of this year. My first is. Top Gun Maverick, but my second is this movie Spontaneous from 2020. Are either either of you familiar with Spontaneous? Only because I've seen you post about it on Twitter, actually, and my curiosity has been piqued, so I'm looking forward to what you're about to say about it. If you're looking for a a horror rom-com to talk about on this show, this would be a perfect one for you. Uh, This is tapping into the theme of young love that could be changed at any moment that I found happening in About Time. Uh, This is a movie that takes place at a high school where random kids heads just start exploding. And um, it's I know it sounds super gory, but the gore is actually surprisingly little in the movie. It's like one kid's head pops and then like you don't know when the next kid's head's going (laughs) to pop. It could be like a week. It could be a month. Um, But kids heads are randomly exploding and there's no rhyme or reason to it. And during this this stuff that's going on these two kids fall in love and it's just a if if you had told me that i'd be watching a movie about kids heads exploding and that i'd be crying at the end of it i would have <laughs> called you crazy but that's what happened with spontaneous i cannot recommend this movie enough uh, directed by brian duffield just a really really great movie You've you've sold it to me. You've definitely sold it to me. <laughs> your 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 comments about this movie should be on the side of the DVD case, I feel. <laughs> A guy can dream. <laughs>
Well, yeah, I guess that brings us to the end of the episode. And Jason, it's just been delightful having you on the show with us. Thank you for sharing your love of About Time with us. I'm really sorry if we quibbled too much with it. No, thanks for having me on. I appreciate all points of view on movies. Uh, I I will never defend a movie against somebody else's opinions because uh, everybody's opinions are their own. Yeah. And for more of Jason's opinions and his interesting guests' opinions, really be sure to check out the Force 5 Movie Podcast. We'll have the web address in our um, show notes, but it's also just force5podcast.com. And like you said, you can find it wherever you find your podcasts. And anything else you'd like to say um, about your upcoming shows or anything before we we end here? I've got some really great shows coming up. I've got Uh, My Halloween episode coming up with the director from the movie The Stylist. She's going to be on giving her Halloween recommendations for some spooky stuff. Um, I've got Top 5 Dogs coming up, which will be a great show. Uh, So, yeah, it's just some really good stuff on the horizon. I'm so looking forward to the Top 5 Movie Dogs episode. That sounds so fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's a good one. All right. And in turn, our podcast, we're wrapping up the time travel series And the last movie in the series will be Happy Death Day to You, which is the sequel to Happy Death Day, which we discussed last year. So I'm really looking forward to getting into that. And then we will be getting into our Halloween season with at least one other horror rom-com. So thanks, everybody, so much for listening today. Goodbye.